you know, leaders are what I found over the years too, and research and going out with all these great anglers on the last, the last book project, which is the hunt for giant trout. I found that a lot of times you're going to benefit if you make a leader out of maxima or even tipping material and you build it, you know, six to eight feet or three to six feet. So my normal rig is three to six feet. If it's six feet, I'll use a swivel, a spro swivel size 10 in the middle. That was Landon Mayer talking about his terminal tackle for streamers. It's go time. This is episode number 48 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. I had one big call to action for you this week. I have a little survey I want you to take if you have time. This will help me better understand uh, who is listening out there and help me kind of guide more of the discussion. So the link will be in the show notes. Uh, it'll be at uh, survey.lipson.com slash wetflyswing. Um, so don't worry about writing that down. Just go click over in the show notes and you'll see a link right at the top of the page. Uh, and that would help a ton. I'm going to run this survey here and then... I'll get the, the information together, and then I'll be able to better, um, like I said, uh, direct the, uh, the which way the, the show is going. It's right now, I think it's been, I'm hearing some positive feedback from everybody, but I would like to get a little more just kind of where's everybody coming from, um, you know, and kind of the demographic, just basic demographic stuff. So thanks again for taking a little bit of time to do that, and uh, look forward to uh, uh, talking to you soon. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Landon Mayer, a guide, author, and one of the leaders on the fly fishing circuit today. We talk about how to catch finicky trout, why he carries two streamer rods, and what to do when a fish chases your fly but doesn't take. Landon talks about using swivels, what you uh, should be imitating, and the best streamer resources. Don't miss this one as Landon discusses the terminology between fly fishing industry and culture, and which one he thinks is the correct uh, version. Before I get into the episode today, I wanted to quickly thank our sponsors. Ascent Fly Fishing has customized fly box selections that they put together for your unique stream. These aren't just flies in the box, but they analyze the insect community, do a summary, and provide you with the exact patterns that are in your stream when you're ready to fish. Just go to AscentFlyFishing.com and use the coupon code WETFLYSWING to grab 10% off your next order. We are also brought to you by the original tie right, which holds flies and hooks securely so you can tie your fly on with little effort. The uh, tie right senior holds hook sizes 2 through 14 and the junior holds hook sizes 14 through 24. Tie right can help you tie clinch, knot, uh, clinch knots, modified clinch knots, and many other knots to suit your needs. Head over to tyright.com and get started today. That's ty-rite.com. So, without further ado, here's Landon Mayer. How's it going, Landon? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good to have you on the show. Uh, I want to. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we've been chatting. I think all these. Whenever I'm setting up these interviews, it always takes a little while to connect with people and. And again, it's always funny because I'm looking back like, okay, now how did I connect with you? And I think now that I think about it, I think it was through uh, Davey Watton, 
who I had on yeah. in a previous uh, episode, and he was he was awesome. And yeah, I think he, he chatted, uh, uh, mentioned your name, and then as I got in and started digging around, I just noticed that you had a you know some books pub, um, uh, pub published out there, and then along with magazines and a bunch of stuff. So um, yeah, I want to dig into all that before we get started. Maybe you can just start us off um, talking about how you got into fly fishing and how you kind of got to where you are now. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And again, thanks for having me on the show. And for me, the the passion really started when I was a kid and just enjoying the outdoors with my family. And we had friends with a family that were into fly fishing. And there was a local shop on Colorado Avenue in Colorado Springs called the Angler's Covey. And I remember going in there when I was young and just being amazed by the amount of flies and all the talk and hype about the fish that were caught that day and ended up going out with my mom and my brother and, and a friend of ours. And from there, it just kind of took hold. I mean, I just enjoyed being outside and hearing the water flow and seeing the fish rise. And from there, was off and running and haven't looked back since, really enjoyed it. Nice, nice. And, and have you spent most of your time uh, now, well, in recent years, I guess, in Colorado, but over your kind of career, is that where you've been mostly? It has mostly. I, I guided for a year on the Naknak River in Alaska with Naknak anglers, and that was 16 weeks, which was it was an amazing experience. I posted a few saltwater trips and did a lot on the, the fly and the salt in my 20s and do a lot of teaching and whatnot on local waters throughout the state of Colorado. But yeah, it's, it's really been a pleasure. I started my senior year out of high school and from there, just haven't looked back and really enjoyed every minute of it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the years ahead. Cool, cool. And where did you, so as you're coming out of high school, getting in, did you, like, how did you get your foot in the door as far as guiding? And did you jump, like, right into the guiding? Yeah, no, it was, it was actually a great experience. I Some of the, the people I met along the way were guides through Angler's Cubby. And then there was another service called Colorado Fishing Adventures. And I ended up going up and speaking with Dusty Sprague, who was the manager at the time and has also been a board of governor for the Federation of Fly Fishers since. And he was kind enough to give me an opportunity to start part-time. And I was 17, getting ready to turn 18. And lucky for me, there were some great and legends, actually, that were guiding at the time. And one of those individuals was Ed Engel and a few others in the guide service I was wanting to join. And from there, whenever they called and needed a day off, I was quick to jump on the trip, and that's pretty much how everything started. Oh, nice. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I just actually was chatting with Ed via email. I had uh, the episode before this one, um, I had John Gearock on, and obviously, you know, anybody that's read John stuff has heard Ed's name and those stories. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's cool. I'm exactly. uh, continuing to connect some of the dots here, which is a big reason, you know, I wanted to do this show to kind of you know, connect all the dots, some of the new, you know, like yourself, you're kind of, uh, you know, kind of in that, uh, I guess the newer kind of whatever you want to call it, middle generation. And then you got folks that are just starting out below you and yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, I guess it's all about that mentorship, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I've learned and found over the years now is that this sport is all about giving back and just that mentorship or being able to help out and kind enough to help out another angler on and off the water is, is what helps the sport grow. And, I know the people I've looked up to, the Ed Ingalls, and my other mentor is John Barr, who put me under his wing and opened some doors for me. And, you know, trying to do the same for others, too, that I see in high school or middle school coming up. And hopefully that continues. I think that's the legacy that Lefty left us with and, mm -hmm. and other greats as well. 
Yeah, cool. And, and, you know, talking about Ed again, I think I'm going to have him on. I'm not quite sure when it'll be down the line, hopefully this year. But um, anything that sticks out as far as, you know, what, um, you know, a big influence of what I know he's, he does, he talks uh, kind of known for, I guess, kind of the small flies. Uh, is there anything specific that he kind of influenced you on? You know, I think for, for me, it was watching Ed present and then from there actually meeting Ed, seeing how he worked on the water. And he has this very calm presence about him. And, you know, I think for me, that was one of the biggest factors that as an individual starting to guide is that you really need to assess the situation in front of you, remain calm, and then understand that, you know, the fact that he deals and ties and works with a lot of small flies, that's pretty much our game on tailwaters here for the mm. South Platte. So that, that was one of the key things I took away from that. And since then, you know, just his professionalism too at the shows and everywhere else I have a chance to spend time with him and travel. It's, it's always remained that. So that's one of the biggest influences he had was just remain calm, evaluate what's in front of you, take the time to let things develop. And then from there, start to react as a guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love how you mentioned the small flies and kind of talking about Ed there and, and how, I guess in the tailwater you're using them there, as you said, but today I was hoping to dig into a little more on some of the streamers. And, you know, when you think about streamers, <laughs> do we ever, because I guess the first thing that pops normally, and I guess my mind is a humongous, you know, a big fly, but do we ever think of streamers? Do we ever yeah. use small, small streamers? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned I would probably say over the last 10 years, the biggest eye-opener is there's a time and place to match the food or the forage to where you need something large. But when fish get technical or they get selective, downsizing is really one of the key, key ways to get the fish to react. And in fact, my, my most popular bug I've been fishing with and have on the market now is my mare's mini leech. And it's a micro pine squirrel leech that's only an inch long. But the beauty of it you get that supple action through the tail of the fly, the pulsating action in the front. But because it is so small and you can tuck it in tight quarters, I find that fish react the same way they do on a larger fly. And it really is nice to be able to adapt from big to small and to still get that aggressive take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that is the challenge when you start talking about these big uh, monster <laughs> streamers is just casting them, right? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's an art. It's an art in its own right. <laughs> so, so now, yeah, so maybe we can just dig in a little bit to, you know, talking about your home uh, river there, or maybe just talk about, sure. you know, if you're going to fish streamers, where you might fish them, and just dig into a little bit about, you know, how you get into fish with streamers. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's nice when you discuss streamers, you know, you talk about trying to get fish to react. And one of the biggest things I teach anglers on the water is trying to make sure that you're there during the right conditions. And for streamers, a lot of times that can be low light or it can be high water, but you can still be effective in small flows and bright sun. You just have to find out where the fish are hiding on any waterway. And, and I usually try different things. Like I'll try a larger streamer, see if the fish reacts to that. If not, then I'll change color. And if I still don't get a reaction, then I'll start to downsize. So it's almost opposite of the way you can think about some other effective ways to approach trout with nymphs and drives, where a lot of times we're trying to think small. I'll think large first on streamers, mm -hmm. then start to downsize and see how the fish react. And the other key thing I teach too, which I think is important, Dave, is that you want to cover a wealth of water. 
usually, in my opinion, if a fish is going to react to a streamer, you get that reaction within the first three to five presentations. Hmm. And then you can start fanning water and moving downstream, or you can hit different runs and really just cover a wealth of water. And if you're drifting or floating, just floating and hitting banks, hmm. and making sure that you're covering miles. No, that's cool. So you're, and what's the, the technique like? Are you casting up, across, like swinging these? How, how are you fishing these typically? Yeah, so, I, you know, the swinging method is when I started doing streamers pretty hard. And I would say that's 15 years ago. I really started diving into it and trying to understand more above and beyond what I would do when I would cast out a streamer. When I first started fishing streamers, it was usually cast across, let the streamer swing downstream, and then retrieve it back. But now I've found that you can have even different ways to deliver where if you're swinging downstream and you retreat back, then the fish looks at it as an escaping meal. But then if the fish are incredibly aggressive, you can cast up and across and essentially bring that streamer head on to where the fish will see it coming hmm. head on to them. Yep. And then all of a sudden they react and try to bite or attack. So there's there's numerous ways. I, I usually think down and across or up and across. Okay. And then what about like, is there some like dead drifting too? Sure. Yep. Yep. The, the technique for that, what I found works pretty well is the dead swing where if the fish or let's say there's the fish holding in a bucket or a drop line, a uh, heavy riffle or seam dropping into a deep run, I'll start at the beginning where I just cast out do a man, let it dead drift. And then once it hits the shelf, if I don't get a reaction at the end of the drift, I'll let it swing and then add some twitches to it. So that way you can identify mm -hmm. if the fish wants it still or if it wants it on the move. Oh, cool. Cool. And can you describe a little bit just for those people who haven't been on the South Platte, just to give us an example of a river where, and are you fishing streamers there quite a bit? Oh yeah. Yeah. We mix it up. It's, yeah. it's definitely all three disciplines for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But and, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty small. I mean, as far as describing the river, I would say, on average, the tailwater's broken up into five sections. And what's cool about the South Platte is that each section of tailwaters, it flows differently. So it's a different backdrop, a different run, different structure. So it's like fishing five rivers within oh, wow. one system. Yeah, it's really neat, and it allows you to think and forces you to think, and in my opinion, become a better angler. But what we're dealing with most of the time is width of the waters anywhere from five to 25, 30 feet. Oh, wow. And then so, yeah. the depth, yeah, it's pretty, pretty narrow, yeah, pretty shallow. Right. And then the, yeah, the depth can be anywhere from, I'd say two to three feet dropping in the buckets that can be eight to 10 feet deep. And the challenge with streamers on this water, Dave, is how do you, how do you effectively present streamers as you're moving and quickly go from shallow two to three feet and then effectively deliver in water that's six to eight feet. Mm -hmm. So that's where, that's where the challenge in between really, really comes up. And for me, the trick and the secret there is to carry two streamer rods and be double fisted. Hmm. Yep. So you have and one the reason just, that works is you can, yep, yeah, yeah, you just have one shallow one. and deep. Okay. Okay. And then can you, yeah, maybe just talk about how, how you're saying that, how it works, and then the difference in, I guess, weight and the setup there on the two. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So the the line I use for shallow water is the sonar clear tip with Scientific Angler, and it's, it's a 30-foot head that's a clear tip. It's an intermediate sinking line 
which means it's sinking at one to two inches per second. And if I attach an unweighted streamer, I can deliver that through shallow water without snagging bottom. Hmm. And then for, for deep water, because we don't have long extended runs, a lot of times we'll do a floating line to a long fluorocarbon leader and then a heavily weighted fly. Okay. That way, when you, when you cast at the drop line, it descends all the way down to the deep run and you can get down there quickly and you don't have to worry about belly sack from a sink tip on the fly line. Yeah, that's a good point. So, and you're, but you're still either swinging or casting up and coming down to you or dead drifting with the, with the dry line. Yeah. With the dry line, you can dead drift, you know, you have to be careful because you'd only want to go up maybe two feet above the lip where it drops off to deep water. But most of the time, these large predatory fish we find at the head of runs or at the tail out. So we're mm. trying to cover both zones. But you can, I would say, more of a retrieve with the heavy rig. And then for the lighter rig is when you can dead drift. And then as it's gradually sinking down, let it swing into the depths of the deep water and then swing or twitch and retrieve it back. Okay. And then when you're using the, the leader just with the dry line and the weighted fly, so it's just a heavily weighted with like tungsten bead or you're not really using, are you using split shot on your, on your leader? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if, if you needed to, if all else fails, you could definitely put a one or O shot of two pieces of split shot above your streamer, six to 12 inches. So it's not, it's still semi-disguised. It's not right on the head of the fly. And that way, if need be, you could sink a, a lightweighted streamer, but most of the time when we're tying, we either do one large tungsten cone, or it's also common that we'll put two tungsten cones on and then hide the second mm -hmm. cone with any type of a collar that can really represent the fibers and you can still get the depth, but those flies tend to sink fairly fast oh, or yeah. even dumbbell eyes to the bottom. Sure. Yeah. That thing's getting down there quick. <laughs> like a missile <laughs> yeah totally okay well i wanted to touch a little bit on uh some of the other kind of rods and some of the other uh, information there but before we do i was hoping you can maybe you know just because like on the history of, of streamers and i mean i know they've been around there's a long history i'm not sure if you could talk a little bit about like where we are today and like how is it different today from where maybe when you think of the traditional the the ghosts and some of the old patterns like has it changed much over the years you know, yeah, it's interesting when you say that because, I mean, you look at, like, the Black Ghost with with Herbert Welch and, and then you look at, you know, the Mother Menno dating back to the 1937 mm -hmm. time frame and, and even, like, the late 1800s with some of the streamers dating back to the Orvis Company in Vermont. I think they called it, like, the, the long-shanked bucktails. <laughs> yeah. Amazing to go back that far. But I, I think it has, you know, what's interesting to me I'll share a little story real quick. I'm working on a, a new book that's going to be out this, this winter season. And while I was working on the book project, I was, it was fortunate enough that I was in touch with Dave Whitlock. And, and Dave and Emily are such great people. He was kind enough to share a lot of his information. And one of the things that blew me away when he was talking and describing streamer fishing on the White River is he sent me a letter where he drew his streamer imitation and the streamer he was throwing was six to nine inches long. Jeez. And the tail, the tail of the streamer was black schlop and about six inches. And what was really unique is that he used tiger wire all the way to the tail end of the slopping, and then he connected a small treble hook as a stinger. Wow. And then 
the head of the fly had elk hair in black. So basically this was an articulated streamer with a stinger hook. And this is a fly that he was using for large browns back in the early 80s. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So yeah. when I look at that and then I look at streamers today, it's amazing how much they evolved and how many more materials we have access to. And, you know, individuals now like Blaine Chocolate and, and others like Charlie Craven and, and John Barr, when you look at some of their streamers that are articulated now with spines, especially the uh, the game changer, it's unbelievable how, how well these flies move. And I huh. joke that it's true. It's almost like watching a banjo minnow. <laughs> Wow. So, so basically that's, that's the story is that, you know, we have a lot more materials and we, the flies aren't as heavy or as bulky as they used to be just because we have kind of better materials and we can get the same action. Yeah. Same action materials. And I think, you know, the credit goes to the, the mind behind the designer. I mean, these individuals that, that hunt predators on their home waters and they have to, you know, try to figure out a way to make their fly imitate the bait fish or something injured that's going to trigger these fish to come up and attack. And, you know, like Chad Johnson, when I interviewed him on the White River, he's got his fly, which is the Sluggo and, and the Big Johnson. Those those two streamers are, you know, they're lightweight, they articulate in the middle, but because you have such a large size and they move so well in the water, they look like they're articulated and injured. And I think my personal favorite when we're dealing with Larger streamers like that is probably the uh, Drunken Disorderly by Tommy Lynch. That's, hmm. that's an amazing bug that's pretty lightweight and, and really doesn't move well on the surface and even below. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll leave a link. I'll get a link to at uh, wetflyswing.com slash 48 uh, with some of the flies that you're talking to. I'll have some, maybe link out to some YouTube videos and things like that so people can take a look at them. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Those, they're good streamers. And the one more that I would mention is, or the two more that I would mention is, one is the meat whistle with John Barr. That's an unbelievable streamer that really does produce well, and not only for trout but for bass and and carp. And then the other one is Killer Gallop's Tip Set, which is an awesome streamer where you have foam on the back end of the fly and it gives it a lot of movement and action, subsurface below the water surface and even when you go to deep water scenarios where that, that tail tries to float or kick back up, it's got some unique action to it. So yeah, I also want to pick up, I want to dig a little more into the streamers for sure, uh, but I had a note here uh, to talk about selective trout and how to catch them. I'm not sure, do you have, um, is that some something you've written about in the past um, or is that something you, you can touch on as far as, and maybe with streamers you do, you can target selective trout, but maybe you can explain how you get into fish that maybe are, I don't know if they've been pounded a little bit or, or just kind of a little finicky. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And that, that's something that now, especially with the popularity and growth in our sport that we all have to deal with. But no, I've, I've really dealt with a selective trout. And my big thing is sight fishing. And, and I wrote a book, Sight Fishing for Trout, in 2009 and, and went into the details above and beyond just seeing if this rise. But when you're dealing with selected trout, and that I think this is where we come into the phase of downsizing the streamer, that's one of the ways I've found that fish will react. And the best way for me to describe that is if you, let's say we go up to a run that's 20 feet wide and 20 feet long, and it's clear water, and we cast a large streamer into the run, and then we retrieve it back. And then while we retrieve, the fish will chase to our feet and then blazes off, chase and then takes off. And it almost seems like the fish wants to eat, but it's really not willing. And 
that's when if you downsize and then try to maximize movement of the streamer without forcing the fish out of its comfort zone is one of the secrets I've found with selected trout. So you're, that's where something like my mare's mini leech or a smaller streamer, muddler minnow, you can really maximize the action of a streamer, even if it's just dead drifting or you're twitching it, when you're doing it in the area of deep water or around structure where the fish feel safe. Hmm. Okay. So you're not, yeah, so they're basically sticking in their zone that they, they like. They're not, they're not leaving that, but you're just kind of given an offering that's a little, not quite as big and bulky and a little more subtle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing I think is important to remember is, you know, aggressive trout are usually very large trout, and trout just by nature can be lazy. I mean, they will chase and they will kill their meal, but a lot of times they're just allowing that, that food or meal to come to them. And if you supply more of a head-on direction with your streamer and then maximize the movement, then the fish doesn't feel like it has to move out of its comfort zone because it's all right in front of them, just like you're feeding them a Big Mac. No, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. They're lazy. That's a good, good one to remember for sure. Okay, okay. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, and I actually, um, Tyler, who uh, on he had asked a question out in the audience, and uh, this is exactly what we were kind of talking about earlier. But um, you know, as far as we talked a little bit about the line, so as far as uh, the rod setup, uh, you know, weight and length, and maybe just go through the, that entire, and then down to your more a little bit on the terminal tackle, and just finish up the entire setup. If if somebody wanted to get started fishing some bigger flies, and and how big of of streamers are you going to be able to cast with the, with these setups? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, in the last five years, I've changed the way that I used to view uh, fly rods and reels. And what I mean by that is I used to be a big fan of stiff, fast action rods. And I thought that the faster the rod was, the more stiff the rod was, the more power, and I could generate more speed. But what I found is when you're streamer fishing, a lot of this is based on feel. You need to feel the current the take when the fish comes over and attacks the fly and that's why when i switched over to winston rods which is a medium fast and more of a mid flex i get that feel which i think is important you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah plays a big part yep and then when dealing with casting too as far as trying to deliver the streamer last year was a big eye-opener for me when i was on the south holston with blaine chocolate and a good friend of ours and editor jay nichols Watching Blaine toss the seven to eight inch streamers 50 feet undercover on the Hmm. river's edge was incredible. But a lot of that was based on the same thing where you feel the load, you know how you can manipulate the line and the cast. And a lot of that is the medium fast or just knowing that that rod's getting maximum flex Hmm. and maximum load. So that that played a big part. And my go-to weight for streamers is a seven weight. Mm. Even when I'm fishing tailwaters or if I'm moving to larger waterways like Pyramid Lake or the White River, a seven a seven weight's a nice in-between, I found, and you also get the power with the lift, but you can also achieve the feel. And there are times where you need to upsize that maybe to an eight weight or a nine weight, but I'm a fan of a seven weight, and my go-to stick for Winston is the B3 Plus, which is their... It's a medium fast, but it has the jungle series has more lift and power on the backbone. Mm -hmm. So that way I get the supple tip when the fish take like in lift from the butt section and then really apply maximum power and matching that with the Bauer reel, large arbor reel that 
supplies a lot of movement and space when you're gaining line, but you want smooth release as well because while you can strip fish in on streamers, a lot of these fish are big and strong and, and they can take off. And then for fly lines, it was what I mentioned before, sonar clear tip, and that's intermediate sinking with a unweighted streamer and then a floating line with a long fluorocarbon leader for a weighted streamer. And then if I'm using sinking line, I'm a fan of scientific anglers, triple density line where you mm-hmm. can go, you can go in different ways of maximizing depth control and you eliminate the sag or the belly of the sinking line or the sink tip line. So a type three or two to 300 grain sink tip on those lines, this really does cast well because you have that taper and you also get more, more control with that sink at an angle, kind of 45 degrees. Okay. And then for, and then moving to leaders, you know, leaders are what I found over the years too, and research and going out with all these great anglers on the last, the last book project, which is the hunt for giant trout. I found that a lot of times you're going to benefit if you make a leader out of maxima or even tipping material and you build it, you know, six to eight feet or three to six feet. So my normal rig is three to six feet. If it's six feet, I'll use a swivel, a spro swivel size 10 in the middle. So I don't have twist and I can get more movement out of my streamer and it doesn't mess up the leader with coils and twist. Mm -hmm. And then attaching all of my streamers at the end of that leader with a loop knot. That way, when you're dead drifting, you still get movement and undulation through the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love and that's the, kind of the, that's kind the, of the whole yeah, okay. the whole rig. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, no, I love the loop knot for sure. And then, and and are you looking? Are you doing like a nine foot rod or longer? Nine feet, and you can even go. You could go longer, but I found you know to have control in the short game and also the long game. I tend to use nine feet, and I've even had anglers go down to eight feet to where you can punch and turn over and, and I, there's a video project I'm also working on called mastering the short game out with headwaters media group. And when we were doing this, this streamer footage, it really is amazing how much more control you can have in a short range or distance with a shorter rod. And I think the most important thing is also have more lifting power. So I would say on average, it's usually for streamers, nine to eight feet, but you could always maximize that and go up to 10 feet as well. And, and when you're dealing with, you know, swinging or switch rods or spay, then you want to start looking at longer distances where you go from 10 to 11, all the way up 13, 15 foot rods. So it really also depends on the waters that you fish. But for me, it's, it's usually nine feet on average. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you have, you're fishing a 30 foot or less stream, you don't need a super long rod, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, okay, okay, no, that makes sense. And, yeah, I wanted to uh, dig a little bit into, you mentioned the giant trout and, and the, the stuff you've been doing there, some of the work, and you've got a lot going on, sure. vi- videos and stuff like that. I'm, I'm curious to hear if there's a, um, you know, a story that helps talk about how you kind of got to where you are. I mean, you're, it sounds like you're, you've got, you know, you know, you're fully in doing all this work and uh, all these companies and stuff. Is there anything, when you look back, that, you kind of think like, well, I could have gone one way or the other, and, and now you're here. Oh, no, ab- absolutely. I, you know, the biggest thing for me is it was really how I was raised. I mean, I'm, I'm just a person that when I wake up every morning, I really am thankful and grateful to be doing this, you know, make a living and, and help support my family. My beautiful wife, Michelle, and our four kids, without her support, 
there's no way that I'd even exist on the water because she has to be incredibly understanding and deal with my fish stories and my obnoxious <laughs> behavior when I can't fish. Yep. <laughs> so that, that plays a part. But I, you know, for me, it was just hard work. Um, a good work ethic was key. Honesty was key. And just really as a guide, I just try to make sure that I customize every day for that angler. So everybody's important, whether they're just starting in this sport or they've been around for a long time. And it just really, things started falling into place when I had that mentality. And again, that goes back to, to Ed Engel and John Barr and the people that were kind enough to give me that influence. So mm-hmm. I've just really tried to stay that same path and keep myself humble, which my wife's great at doing as well. And from there, just, you know, trying to advance and pull more fish. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that's, I always think about that. It's, it's, I love hearing the stories because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kids out there that probably, you know, at your same age took a different turn and didn't run into the Ed Ingalls and have the influence, the positive influences and, and maybe aren't in, you know, are in a different place. And so, yeah, I think just having something to do and being around the right people is a big part of it. So, so that's, that's pretty cool to hear yeah. that, hear that for sure. No, it's cool. It's cool. And I, you know, I think for our youth too, the, the generation of anglers coming up that are in, in middle school and high school, they're incredible. I mean, going out with, and, you know, having the luxury of, of being a guide, one of the things I get to see is anglers that I may take out when they're 12 years old. And then all of a sudden they're 18 going off to college. And when they come back and they graduated college, they're unbelievable anglers. Yeah. And I think, I think our sport is in really good hands for that. And whenever I see that in, if I know of somebody or know a route that they could take or something they could do to help maximize their potential for success. And that's, that's what I mentioned earlier about giving back. I'm always, always willing and trying to come up with an answer and help them out any way I can. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The original Tyrite is a longstanding accessory loved by fly fishermen for decades. It's an accessory you won't live without once you uh, try it. No more drop flies or hooked fingers. If you haven't seen this uh, tool yet, it's pretty simple. It looks like a like a pin, a little ballpoint pin with a retractable clip that allows you to hook, basically hook the bend of your, uh, your fly in so you don't have to worry about fumbling with the tiny little fly or hooking your finger. And you just kind of finish the knot like spinning spaghetti on a fork. Just quickly do your twists and, you know, stick the... Um, the tip it through and you're good to go. All parts are manufactured and assembled in the USA with a 100% lifetime guarantee. And I like to uh, use the example of the uh, tiny little blue-winged olive and you know in the winter time. And that's always a good example because you know your feet are, fingers are cold and sometimes it's hard to hold those little guys. Uh, but the tie right makes this easy. You know, using a size 18 BWO, you'd be using the, the tie right junior, and it just makes it a snap. So. Uh, just wanted to give a heads up for everyone. This is a great tool from a great company. I'm excited to have them on and want to uh, uh, get you guys to head over to tyrite.com and check it out today. That's ty-rite.com. We are also brought to you by Ascent Fly Fishing. Uh, do you struggle at times to tie the right fly on the end of your fly line? What if you had a biologist or entomologist with you next to you telling you exactly what was going on in the stream and what you need to put on? That's basically what Ascent Fly Fishing does with their custom fly box selections. And these guys aren't just a one-trick pony. They cover rivers all over the country. 
from Oregon over to Colorado out to New York. Um, you know, they've got basically the entire country and they're, and they're building on from what they've got. And I've got a great example because I have a box for one of my local streams and it's super awesome and neatly organized. It even comes with a card that shows which rows each of the flies are, you know, breaks down dry flies on one side, uh, nymphs uh, on the other and talks about different, um, you know, categories of basically the orders of flies, mayflies, caddisflies. It's just really organized and a lot of flies are on there, which were ones that weren't in my box. So I'm excited to get, uh, get on that. And, uh, but yeah, you can head over and uh, pick up a, a local selection from your stream. They have a 100% money back guarantee as well if you're not satisfied for any reason. So, you know, I think it's time to cut the guesswork out of it. Head over to ascentflyfishing.com and use the coupon code WETFLYSWING to get 10% off your next order. That's uh, ascentflyfishing.com, A-S-C-E-N-T, flyfishing.com. Okay, back to the show. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Let's let's go to that topic about the you know the large trout or giant trout, however you want to say. I mean, what is the thing? And maybe we've talked a little bit about this, but you know, finding those big trout. What is there some tips that you can provide to help help others find some of those? And when we talk large giant, what are we talking there? Like, is there a minimum size criteria, like twenty inches, or what do you say? You know, I I think that you know large trout. It really is based on the water. I mean, you could be. You could be in a brookie pond and have a fish that comes out that's, you know, 15 inches and that's a big fish. Or you could be chasing a world record or potential in any given waterway. You know, that, that I think does play a part. But for big trout in general, I think it's more of, it's more of dealing with something or a creature, what it may seem like, is so smart and so wise that it's really the adrenaline rush and trying to fool that fish. And for the sake of streamers, I think, to be honest, yes, you can catch more and larger trout, but I think now with streamers, it's it's a way to not even think about the size, but think about how selective they are. Because I find that selective trout, when you're dealing with these small flies or these technical rigs, sometimes the answer is just to switch it up and throw meat right in front of them. You know, they want steak and potatoes because mm. they've been snacking all day on on pretzels or cheese nips, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden you throw this seven inch streamer and that fish goes, Oh, wow. I'm, I'm willing to take that. And you know, it, it can, what's funny about it too, is we're, we're looking for a bigger, better fish. And then all of a sudden you're ripping that streamer through the run and a 12 inch fish attacks it. And you look at it like how in the world huh. is a 12 inch fish going to eat my six inch <laughs> streamer? Yeah, <laughs> right? That's cool. So, yeah, so it's kind of, I think it's that blend, but I would say even more than just looking for the largest, which we're all trying to do, we either want size or numbers, but I think it's really just trying to think outside of the box and go from selective to more aggressive behavior is one of the keys. And, you know, Kelly Gallup does a great job in talking and discussing predators and streamers, and I think that really does connect the dots very well. Okay. And who are the, you know, I think about the streamer. I mean, Kelly definitely is a guy that I've chatted with too, and I'm hoping to get on the show as well. I mean, he, he's a big sure. streamer guy. Are there some other big uh, people that kind of think, when you think of streamers, their names pop out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot now. It's are incredible. There, yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. Like Kelly, for sure. I remember, you know, when I was in my 20s, I would always, and still do, you know, have a chance to, to see his work and watch him present and tie his flies and then since then it 
you know, Tommy Lynch with the D&D on the Pure Marquette, an amazing fly, a lot of movement and commotion. Um, Blaine Chocolate is a big influence on the streamer game. Um, uh, Mike Schultz is a big influence. Uh, Chad Johnson is a big influence now. Mm -hmm. John Barr, Mike Lawson, and I think another cool fly, which works really well, is Charlie Craven's Double Gonga. And Charlie Craven has a huge influence on the on the tying industry, but really now, I mean, it's almost impossible. It's like, it's like trying to select a group of anglers. That's really going big with streamers. There's so many great anglers doing great things on the vice, but I usually, I find a lot of the information from a designer and then start following them. And then if I connect and relate to their thought process and how they really approach throwing the streamer or, try to figure out how or why they deliver the fly the way they do or designed it the way they do, then I, then I tend to follow that individual and, and that really has an influence back on me. Mm, yeah, for sure. Okay. And, and you mentioned, you know, when you're trying to target some of these bigger fish, um, you know, different techniques. I mean, when you're, when you have that streamer out there, maybe you can talk a little bit about if, if there are differences between when you're fishing for different fish species, species, and then what exactly are you imitating? I mean, are you imitating a, kind of a uh, fish most of the time or are there other things that you're imitating with these uh, these streamers yeah and there it is you hit it right on the head Dave that's that's the question is what should I be imitating and I think I think streamers start with the forage base what food supply is the trout looking for and why and and then once you find the food supply try to figure out how it moves you know is it does it dart backwards and then pause like a crayfish or does it does it dart off and continue to swim like a small fry? Is it a sculpin that wiggles and is one of the worst swimmers mm -hmm. in the river on the bottom? That's, that's the, the most important thing is to research and preparation before you start throwing the streamer. Cause it's, it's confusing as well. I mean, don't get it wrong. You, you look at the market and there's a hundred streamers to choose from and you're wondering, well, which one should I choose and why? And I think to simplify it is, try dark and try light. And then once you figure out does the fish want a dark streamer or a light streamer, then you can research the food supply and then try to match the color to the food supply. Hmm. And that really is, I think, some of the best starting points in streamer fishing where hopefully that will help anglers figure out what yeah. diet the trout want. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you don't know, you kind of go in there thinking, okay, I'll try light or, and that might be yep. imitating more of your kind of your little, uh, smaller trout fry or something like that and then or you go dark where you maybe you're entertaining more of the sculpin and then you also have the sculpin the big bulbous or the bigger head and just the body morphology yeah. right exactly yeah so that's where you start dissecting is it you know a, a slim profile a fat head a thin head all that comes into play and you can i mean what's cool now is you can literally google what the forage base is look at a video, look at a photograph, and then start to look in your box at home hmm. and then pull out six streamers that look to represent or mimic that very well. And then that's kind of the starting point. But the simple details is what I always teach clients on the water. Light and dark is going to tell you immediately what the fish want to start, whether they like to be attracted or they like the dark. And that can play a, that can play a factor on clarity of water, the amount of light, low light versus bright light. So that really does allow you to start investigating on your own and developing your own theories or concepts and how you can get fish to react to streamers better. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so basically just like any anything we talk about here, it's a little a little bit of, you know, getting on the stream and, and testing some things, but really observing, which is we've talked about that a lot, observing what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> testing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Which is fun too, because you see them, you know, that's the question is the fish chase my streamer, would need it. But then that's what haunts you that, that evening after and then you know, that's where you that's where you make the judgment call. Do I call in sick to work? Do I go yeah. out the next day to chase that fish again? Exactly. No, that's cool. Yeah, the tug is the tug is the drug, man. That's for sure. Totally. Well, you've managed to make your you know your work your your passion your work, so it makes it a little a little easier for you. And, you, and now guiding is pretty much. I mean, that's what you're doing the bulk of your time during the week. Yeah, pretty much. I, I guide you know around 200 days a year, and then I. I do the speaking tours at clubs and shows during the winter months, and I host some trips during the winter, and I try to do lessons and classes after hours. So it is it is a way of life on the fly, but it, you know, guiding for me is very important, and that's one of the reasons I didn't get into retail as much in this sport is I wanted to be on the water, because the challenge is, you know, adjusting every day to the conditions, but also adjusting every day to what your client needs or what you need from your client to make it a successful day. And it really is guiding is all about preparation. It's how you prepare for the next day mentally, physically, even your emotions come into play. So I've, I've always enjoyed that challenge of guiding. And, you know, over the last, it's, it's been over 20 years now, I can't believe it. And I look back and think I'm just as excited now as I was at the beginning. So that's the passion still there. And as long as I still have that passion, Dave, I'll, I'll continue to do it, but I really do like the challenge of guiding. I think it's it's well worth the effort. Yeah, nice, nice. And do you have you had over your twenty year career any? There's a like a big challenge or a big struggle or a big setback. Anything pop out to you that you know maybe made you think like, well, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Oh well, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think this year was probably one of my most challenging seasons, and. Not so much that I wasn't cut out for it, but it really was, I think the frustration was that we had a lot of issues come up with water temperature, flooding, mm. all these natural occurrences. And, you know, it's one thing when there's fish in the river and you're trying to get that fish to feed, but it's a whole different ball game when there's literally no fish in the river or minimal numbers. And then you try to find success. And I think that was the most challenging thing to deal with. So it wasn't like you had numerous options. It was, you know, mm -hmm. find three or four adult fish. And if it didn't come together or you didn't bring your A game to try to help your client out, it could make for a rough day. So the challenge there was making it a successful day, but the reward was it humbles you quick to where when you think you know everything, you go home and you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. And was that the, what do you think you was the biggest thing you learned? Is that uh, in that whole process this year? Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing I learned was just really being more patient than I've ever been and allow, allow the fish to become comfortable. So instead of getting to the water early and just diving right into a deep run, I tried to find selected trout and where they were holding. And then some of these trips, we had to start at four thirty or five o'clock in the morning to try to get there when the temperatures were oh, the yeah. high fifties or low sixties. And, and that really was what it was based on. It was trying to just wait for those hatches or trying to get in there before the water temperatures warmed up. Cool. And were your clients still getting there 30 minutes or an hour before you? <laughs> 
I've, yeah, exactly. I've yeah. Heard, yeah, some of the times we were. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've talked to people before. You know, that said that. Yeah, the clients are so so jacked up and excited. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. There. yeah, that'd be an early That's, morning. You could test that though, and the way to test it is when you tell them to to meet you at four thirty five in the morning or four forty five, and then all of a sudden everybody's getting there two minutes before and you're hoping you can get that last pound of coffee before you take off. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Cool. Well, let's, uh, so as far as uh, thinking about tips, I mean, we've talked about a few things here, but are there a couple of like your best uh, streamer fishing tips or anything that comes to mind that, you know, again, we talked about the whole setup and getting out there and tardy fish, but sure. is there anything we haven't talked about here? Yeah. I think the biggest thing with streamers is just, you know, realizing that you have to get the fish to feed. One of the best ways to do that is to feed the fish. And what I mean by that is just really understanding what the fish wants, starting with, like we mentioned, the streamer, light and dark, matching the forage base, really identifying color. And then after that, how does that, how does that food supply move? So just really adapting and adjusting your retrieve to what the movement of the fly is and, Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, fast and slow, but you really have to, it's almost like a chess game where you're trying to map out the river. And let's say we have a mile stretch. Sometimes I'll go to one run and I'll retreat fast. Then the next run, I'll retreat slow. Then the next run, I'll do short. Next run, I'll do long. So I'm not trying to mix up the retreats in one run. I'm trying to do it in a wealth of water so that I could see the reaction from fresh targets, not just fish that have been cast to over and over again. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, which is, it's a good way to approach it. And, and one of the other tips too, I've realized, I learned, I learned a lot over the years when I've attended shows or I've spoken with conventional anglers on the water, people that are fishing, you know, lures or two jigs, conversations with them can really help out too because they can, you know, they've been cranking a lot of fish on a white tube jig, just slowly bouncing it on the bottom. That immediately told me that the fish want something light and I need to do a slow retrieve. So I'm crawling on the bottom, things like that, where you can just maximize your knowledge and it doesn't always have to be on the fly. I mean, some of these bass anglers or conventional anglers have great methods and techniques that work as well. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, those are those are good. And, and when we talk about uh, thinking about fly tying, <clears throat> you've mentioned a number of people and some great resources. Uh, I mean, sure. are, there, are there any? Do you, do you, I, I mean, I assume you tie some flies as well. Are there any any tips uh, as far as tying flies or materials, or if anybody wanted to tie up a few, is there any kind of standard, maybe easier patterns you can get started with? Yeah, I think some of the easier patterns. You know, I I enjoy tying the. Uh, John Barr's meat whistle is a great imitation to tie that it's fairly simple. Your classic woolly bugger with and without weight, where you have the mm-hmm. marabou tail, chenille body, soft tackle ribbed about, and then weighted or unweighted on the front end. And is, My the, mini leap, is the woolly is that, bugger, oh, sorry to interrupt, I was just going to say, the is, no, no, the, is the woolly bugger the greatest flyer of all time, or what, what do you it, think is it's the... It's one of them. Yeah. I, I think... I honestly think for streamers, it probably is. I mean, there's so many good patterns, but it's universal. It can be large or small. And yeah. I think, I mean, the fish just eat them up. It's incredible how well that thing still works. And I'm a believer in the old school is new school. So that, yeah, <laughs> that can play a big part. Totally. But yeah. I mean, totally. there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of cool imitations to use now, but yeah. I think it's just time on the vice to get used to them. And I tell you what, though, Dave, honestly, the biggest tip that I can give somebody in time streamers, just make sure that you have a strong hook because hmm. it is unbelievable. Even when you think there's strength, you know, get online, talk to others, see what hooks like mustads or predator hooks or gamagatsis, whatever it is, make sure that you've tested the hook or you've spoken with others. Because some of these fish, especially if you hook into just a giant, these fish can straighten those hooks out. And even, even a, a nice quality fish 20 inches long, that fish, when it's hitting your streamer with, with force and power matched with the speed of the current, there's nothing worse when your hook straightens out. Mm. Yeah, that is tough. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's another good tip. So, and thinking about, um, you know, we've uh, talked a little bit about, I guess, some of your books and uh, some of the articles. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've published out there, and uh, you know, maybe what you have coming up, or if you, well, yeah, I guess you've you've got a couple things in the works now. But what are the books so far you have yeah. out there? Yeah. So my my first publication was How to Catch the Biggest Trout of Your Life with Wild River Press. And that came out in, in 2006. After that was Sight Fishing for Trout with Stackpole Books in 2007. And then Colorado's Best Fly Fishing with Headwaters Books. And that was in 2010. My last book was 101 Trout Tips. And that, that was a fun book to do because it was based on guiding and journal notes over the years and putting pros and tips and all these different sequences and situations that were put into. And then two projects I have coming out, which I'm really excited about. The first one is the book, which is the hunt for giant trout, 25 top locations in the U S to catch a trophy. And then my video, which should be coming out, which is mastering the short game. And that's due out in January. And that's on the water techniques where a lot of the fish that we encounter are within 20 feet or less. So those are two new projects coming out in addition to some bugs and some other talks and presentations and whatnot for the, the upcoming show season with the fly fishing show and some other clubs, but it's, it's fun. And I have to give credit to everybody. When, when we read these books, I didn't realize it until I started publishing things with articles and, and books. There's so many great people behind these projects that it really is a testament to not only the community, but the great minds that come together. So I'm just yeah. thankful I'm able to do it. And, and hopefully people learn some some tips and tricks like we're uh, discussing here in the show. No, it's good. I've I've talked to a number of uh, publishers and editors now on this show, and uh, yeah, it's it's been cool to hear the stories because you hear <laughs> yeah. you know you hear the different stories. I mean, I had the you know I mentioned John Gearock on, and uh, he was uh, you know he publishes on the uh, the Fly Fish Journal. He he writes there. Right. Actually, Steve Duda, who I had on, has actually moved on. Now he's not the editor now. But um, he mentioned when he was the editor that uh, everything that John sends in is just perfect. Like there, there's no <laughs> editing, nothing needs to be done. And he said it's just amazing because most most of the time stuff comes in, you got to do some. You know, there's some work you got to do to it. So oh, man. It, it just yeah. shows you. And, yeah. you and you being behind writing the books. I mean, what did that feel like, uh, you know, for you when you got your first book published? It was an amazing feeling. It was, it was also probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life because you – you know, when you put something on paper to yourself, it's your opinion and facts to yourself. But when people read this, you know, you're nervous and how they'll react or how they'll judge your work. But what I've found to be very helpful, and this is what's allowed me to continue to write, is that 
I write based on what I see and what I learn on the water. So when I do articles or I'm doing books, I'm not just trying to, you know, do something that's recycled. I'm trying to evolve and at that same note, supply new techniques and things that I see. So that's very helpful because I'm, I'm not a storyteller per se. I'm more of a technique and strategy type of guy. Mm-hmm. That's why I enjoy reading, you know, Gearock's work and even Ed Engel's work. You know, Ed was more of a technical writer and still is. But from the beginning, when I used to read his articles, it, I always, you know, learned from them and then also could switch over and read a story from John. And I, I really think that's what's fun about it is you're, you're learning and advancing. And now it seems like a lot of the information that's out on the market from other good guides and other individuals that are doing the same thing, like George Daniel and those who are teaching on the water in addition to the text, is that we're just kind of reliving our guide trips and reliving those moments on the water. Hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, I wanted to um, touch on, you mentioned the 25 top locations. I had a question there, but before I get into that, I just want to note, you mentioned um, uh, a couple of your different publishers you've had. Now, you've had multiple publishers uh, and different books. Well, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I started out with Wild River Press, and Tom Pirro was kind enough to give me the opportunity, and he's a great man, and he was really kind in helping me out and teaching me a lot about layout and text, and then from there, I started working with great individuals like Ross Purnell, um, John Randolph with Fly Fisherman. And the biggest mentor and friendship I've gained over the years is with Jay Nichols, who is the acquisition editor for the Fly Fishing Department with Stackpool Books. Mm. And he owns Headwaters Books and also Headwaters Media Group, who my video is coming out with. But he's responsible, and I'm not kidding, for it has to be at least, 50, 60% of the books we see on the market from Popovic to no Renee Harrop to Lefty, Lefty Cray. He's, he's behind the text with all these individuals. And it really was nice because when I got on board after Wild River Press, I did my, my work through Stackpool and Headwaters Books with Jay and, and then doing articles with Ross Purnell at Fly Fisherman and John Randolph. And, and Ross Purnell is another great individual in our sport that, with fly fishermen, he's done amazing things and really, you know, helping pass the torch, but also allowing us to teach through his pages with, you know, the techniques we use on the water. So it's just been fun with, with those two publishing groups and, and really just having that opportunity to work through text. Well, yeah, I didn't realize that uh, Nichols had that much uh, influence. That's pretty cool. Uh, I guess that's why, that's cool, why you yeah. see his name. You definitely see his name. Well, you've seen his name out there for a long time. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and they're, they're anglers, you know, they're good guys. I mean, watching, watching Ross and Jay and Randolph and uh, Jeff Mueller and all these other great editors. And I think Jeff's with the Drake now. And, and I mean, it's amazing watching them on the water and then watching what they can do with words because it, you know, for myself, I'm an angler first trying to become a writer and other individuals like Gear Rock and Ed Engel, I believe they're writers they are. that yeah. became anglers, you know, so they are. we that, don't all have that same connect. No, and that's what Gear Rock said last week. He said that, uh, you know, people ask him that a lot. Are you more of a writer or a fly fisher or however it is, or fly fisherman first? And he, you know, he basically says, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a writer first. And that kind of, yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, you know, <laughs> kind of sad. But I kind of look at that thinking like, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, I mean, no. he, he's, a, he's an no. amazing writer, yeah. Absolutely. My hat goes off to him. I mean, it's so difficult to write 
and try to express what you want to say on paper or in the keys. I mean, it's, Oh, yeah. It seems easy when you think about it, but no. when you truly break it down and you try to you try to express what you teach verbally on the water, sometimes you feel like you're going to pull your hair out. It's almost totally. impossible. Totally. No, I hear you. <laughs> hey, cool. Well, Absolutely. So I was thinking a little bit about, uh, you know, we've talked about some different books here. I mean, is there a, I guess if we keep it to streamers or you can just maybe think of fly fishing for you, any books, magazines, or other resources that aren't your own that have, have either been a big influence or, or something you like reading? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, you know, for me, um, Kelly Gallup's work with streamers was a huge benefit. Um, reading, reading the recent articles from, from Blaine Chocolate was a big help. Dave Whitlock's resource with bugs and his aquatic book was just incredible mm. about insects. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I, I think now, too, just you know, what, I've, what I've also learned a ton from is going to presentations myself. You know, I'm I'm a public speaker and I do a lot of shows and I teach and give back, but I also attend presentations myself to this day. And just when I, when I see a name or somebody that I think I can connect with, I'll get online and research and find out what articles they've done and where they're going to be presenting at and sit down during their talks. And that really has helped out a bunch. And I think, I think that information alone is enough to really, you know, help individuals become better anglers. And, the other thing I, I want to mention, too, is as a full-time guide, I've also learned the benefit of being on the water with anglers and hearing them express how much it helps them. I myself will also do guide trips with other guides and spend time with them on the boat and see how they work and what they do and take that information and, you know, try to remain a student myself. So that, mm. that really is kind of the gist of just trying to maintain and gain more knowledge over the years. Yeah, cool. Cool. So now if you had, t let's take it back to the, the beginning. So you've got somebody out here listening who is pretty new, maybe is, you know, fly fish for a few years, but hasn't really done the streamers and they're heading out to one of their streams. And, you know, are there any, yep. you know, they get their raw, they've got their stuff. Do you think um, any anything we didn't cover as far as getting out there and finding those fish or... You know, any other, um, I'm just thinking, you know, I think for me, what you've talked about is, is kind of covered it all, but I, I'm just, again, it seems like, you know, you got this big fly, what size, what color, and I guess, like you said earlier, you break it down and start simple. Um, right. Pick one of those flies and get out there and try it, and if you're not hooking fish, then then change up your, uh, kind of change up either the fly or the casting uh, angle. I mean, do you, do you start with one or the sure. other? Yeah, just start, you know, I would say start light and dark. Try, try targeting water where fish feel safe, structure, deep runs. And the other thing is the psyche. Really put yourself in the right frame of mind to where if you don't get a tug or the fish doesn't take, don't give up. And just remember, what I teach anglers with streamers is that you have to have that confident moment where you build confidence because you saw a fish chase your streamer hmm. or you had a fish hit your streamer or the best case scenario is you land a fish on a streamer, but that moment when you know that the fish is reacting to what you're doing, from that moment, that's when you start the building blocks. So I think it's just a matter of going out, yep. attempting, but not, not giving up and just really building that confidence. But light and dark, adjust the retrieve and cover water, and, and you'll have that moment where that fish does come and chase, and hopefully they take and you can land that fish. Okay, nice. Now I want to get back to the uh, the book you mentioned. It was at twenty five top locations. 
Yeah, yeah. So the hunt for giant trout, 25 top locations in the U.S. to catch a trophy. And that book's going to be out in December. Um, there's some great information and resource. And really the beauty of that book is 50 anglers contributed to the title. So it's, oh, wow. it's going to be a going to be a big one with a lot of great names and, gotcha. and great information and resources. Gotcha, and, that's, that's and, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a cool project. And then, and then the video is also great. I, with Jay Nichols, we filmed for three years from Pennsylvania to Argentina, and we captured all the video footage and made, we're making, it's in the final stages now, the instructional video, which displays in 4K at slow, slow speeds to where we go over drives, nymphs, and streamers. And we use these techniques in Pennsylvania, Colorado, Tennessee, Montana, and Argentina. So people can really see from east to west to even you know, to other areas and locations around the globe how these techniques work. But the key there is 20 feet or less. I mean, so many of the fish we encounter are within 20 feet or less, whether mm -hmm. it's fishing or when the fish finally does take. Yeah, that is a... That is a great point, regardless of the species, it seems like. Yeah, you, de yeah. you definitely got to start in close and fish the water right at your feet first. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there'll, there'll be a lot of uh, information. I'll, I have some articles in the pipeline that will come out next year with, uh, with fly fishermen, and, and I'll have information on my website. And I also do a newsletter. Anybody's welcome to sign up for it through my website, atlantamare.com, where all it is is a way for me to give back. I just do a guide tip every month, and then I, I list the events in addition to that guide tip of where I'll be presenting or teaching a class. So you're welcome to sign up for that if you'd like, and that way we can I can let you know and be notified of when these projects are going to come out. Oh, cool. Cool, and you, and you get around kind of uh, east coast, west coast, all over, or do you you'd stay in a speci more specific areas? No, I do a lot of traveling. I'll be I'll be at the fly fishing show with uh, the fly fishing show that's ran by Ben Fremsky. It's a great show, mm -hmm. awesome opportunity to move around. So I'll be at the Denver show this winter. Um, I'll be at the New Jersey show and the Atlanta show. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to those, I'll also be at uh, numerous clubs traveling about. And then I'll be locally at the International Sportsman's Expo in Colorado as well. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. Well, I have. Uh... Yeah, just a, a couple more questions here before I let you get out of here. And um, sure. yeah, so we definitely talked a little about some of the rivers you fish and getting a feel for it. I was kind of thinking, you know, when you mentioned the, the location, the top 25 location, I, I've had this conversation before and it's, you know, that conversation about like kind of you know, as the pressure increases. In fact, I think, I think John uh, said that last week, you know, as more people get out fishing. What do you feel like is, you know, as people write about these areas, is there anything to be concerned about, you know, as far as kind of a little too much pressure in some of these areas? Or how, how do you balance that when you're writing a book like that? No, that's a great question. And it, it's absolutely true. I mean, you have to be careful. I think myself, and this is where I come into the factor of trying to become a writer as I'm an angler, just continuing to do that every year. And my thought behind that was, you know, this book is not based on the location, like here's the fly, here's the fishery, go catch fish. It's more of inside the mind of the individual that is on that water full time. Mm -hmm. And for me, it, it's more of that. It's trying to teach the technique that's used on that water. So maybe when you go there, you can have success yourself. But also, if you take that technique back to your home water, you can find more success that way. So it's not... 
I don't believe in hot spotting where you try to give up a location. This is where I caught a fish. This is where you should go fish. I think, you know, the best way to approach the industry now is how was that fish caught? And can I use that technique or can I try to tweak that technique to where I can use it on my home waters? And, and that really is, I think, the key component because the growth in the sport now, it's, it's not going to stop. And it's a good thing. But I think the more anglers that approach the water with stealth and with selective thought in mind, the less fish that are spooked, the more opportunities we all have. And that really is my goal as a guide is to try to teach anglers so we all have more thought. That way we're spooking less fish and, and eventually find more success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned the word uh, industry, and I actually had a conversation here uh, today with uh, a person out in the audience who listens to the show here, and they mentioned, uh, it's kind of funny, I'd like to get your take on it, like the word industry, I mean fly fishing industry, sure. right? And, yeah. and and his take on it was he was just kind of like and I actually to you know upfront people to listen to this know that I've said fly fishing industry a lot it just kind of feels like uh, trying to talk about what you know what we're in but it was kind of his pet peeve and he was like you know what I, I hate hearing the industry word you know making it sound like it's some corporate thing where he wish he, you know he wishes I would say more like fly fishing culture. And no, it kind of got me thinking, you know, he's right. yeah, yeah. Do you think, do you think yeah. that's, I mean, I wonder, and I know that, um, number of people that are in it, you know, you know, that talk about it, use the word industry, but do, what, how do you feel about that? No, I think that's true. That's a, that's a very valid point. And I'm, I'm guilty and, and others are guilty when you, when you are working and, you know, trying to develop and, and also think about making this a career, or if it is your career, then it is, we all get caught up in the terms and the slang that mm-hmm. we, it's common for us to use that, but that's true. I mean, it is, it is a culture and it, and it is fun. I mean, I'd also, I would say it, it's one of my goals moving forward is to try to think of it more of, you know, it's, it's a sport in my opinion. Yeah, sport. It's not an industry. I think it's a sport. It's an activity, you know, a therapeutic right for all of us to be yep. able to go out and enjoy the water. So culture is a great term and yeah. sports a great term and, and just fishing in general. And then that's 100% true because it's not corporate. That's not the right way no. to think about it at all. I no. think it's more, it's more of just developing. And, and really what I find in fly fishing is that there's so many of us that we all become students again. And that's where we all have that connection, which is cool. Yeah. No, I think, uh, yeah, you said it well there. That's for sure. Students is, uh, yeah, we're all, I mean, that's what I think what, what we <laughs> yeah. all love about it, right? That we're all, we know oh, we're, yeah. we're always going to be learning. Exactly. Exactly. And once you think you know it all, that's when you eat some humble pie and you go, oh, okay, back to the drawing that's board. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, uh, so now the South Platte, I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but is there anything else you want to note just on that river? I know there's probably a few people maybe that fish that area, you know, and want to, sure. you know, as far as when you put streamers together, anything we, we didn't cover? It's, I mean, I know you covered a lot today. Yeah, no, I think, I think we're in good shape. I mean, I think, you know, for myself on the South Platte, it, it's a tailwater drainage, but these techniques can also be applied on free stones, small and large waterways. Uh, the techniques are also used in still waters. And when you're doing still waters, rivers, or free stones, I think the biggest thing is trying to get the flies to the fish. And the only other thing I can think of that we didn't really key, key in on was other waterways in the sense of free stones and still waters. But mm, yep. the same technique and the biggest thing I think there is just depth control. And that's really the challenge with streamers is how do I 
how do I keep my fly towards the surface? How do I get my fly deep towards the bottom? And trying to maximize the use of different lines, weighted streamers, unweighted streamers, and just understanding the flow or the depth of the still water. But really just trying to maximize depth control is key. And the way to do that and to start is with fly lines and flies and then trying to develop a tier system from there. Cool, cool. No, that's uh, well put. Um, and my uh, one little quick question here, as far as uh, we talked a little bit about gear, um, do you have a non-fly fishing piece of gear that is like your go-to item, when you, whether you're traveling or out there, that, that you kind of don't leave home without? I do, I do. It's, a, it's funny, but it's one of those, those foam noodles that you use in a swimming pool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So somebody showed me this trick at a show five years ago, but if I cut that noodle in the same length as a water bottle, I can wrap my pre-rigged flies on it and stick it in my water bottle holder of my fanny pack. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's a sweet, So yeah. that's a cool one to pass on. But no, that people see me buying noodles at the store and, you know, hopefully I don't run into a fellow angler. And well, you, if it's not, if it's not too. the summer season, you're like, <laughs> where are they? Exactly. No, I'll have to, yeah, my, my kids love those things. So I'll, I'll yeah, have to yeah. take you up. Okay. So, you, and you know, anything else in the next six to 12 months that you're going to be doing that you, you didn't cover here today? No, I think, I think that's it. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing a lot of great things through the website and shows and, I'm just excited to see everybody at the events and wish everybody success on the water. And I'm truly thankful that you had a chance to, to put me on your show, Dave. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I think we covered, I haven't really talked about streamers yet. So this is a great, you know, a great start to hopefully I'll have some more guests on to talk about it. And, you know, if anybody, awesome. if they want to find you, I guess is the uh, landonmayor.com the best place or, or uh, I guess Instagram, yeah. Instagram right at uh, Landon Mayor Fly Fishing. You bet. Yeah. So it's the website's landonmare.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at landonmare fly fishing. Facebook is landonmare fly fishing on Facebook. And, and on my website, just go to the contact page and you can reach me under guided trips or comments or speaking engagements. That's a good way to find me there. And, and then my, my information from there is listed on the website for contact by phone. And if you don't reach me, usually I am on the water. If not on the water, then I'm at home with, with the kiddos and the family, and then once they go to bed, I'll be losing sleep about more and larger trout, hopefully. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get into the kids. I know uh, you've got four kids, so I'd love to hear uh, maybe next time some tips on how you're getting your kids active and, and keeping them away from the the devices. Yeah. That's always a, a good challenge. No, that's a good one. Maybe we could do a show in the future about tips for youth, because I think that's an important important thing to always get back and. It is a challenge and a fun experience. Sometimes you're casting flies, sometimes you're catching bullfrogs, but it's all worthwhile. That's right. That's right. All right, Landon, I'll, I'll let you get out of here. I just wanted to, yeah, thank you again for coming on and sharing your uh, your knowledge and uh, all the resources. I think I love the the historical perspective too. You, you kind of gave a shout out to a bunch of like old and new names that I'm going to do my best to put in the show notes, but I won't get all of them. So, you know, if anybody cool. has questions, I'll direct them to your website and have them connect with you. And uh, yeah, we'll hope to see you out there soon and, and keep in touch. That, that sounds great. I appreciate it again, Dave. And thanks to everybody out there and wishing everybody a happy and successful fall. All right. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks a lot. I had one big call to action for you this week. I have a little survey I want you to take if you have time. This will help me 
better understand uh, who is listening out there and help me kind of guide more of the discussion. So the link will be in the show notes. Uh, it'll be at uh, survey.lipson.com slash wetflyswing. Um, so don't worry about writing that down. Just go click over in the show notes and you'll see a link right at the top of the page. Uh, and that would help a ton. I'm going to run this survey here and then I'll get the, the information together and then I'll be able to better, um, like I said, uh, direct the, uh, the which way the, the show is going. It's right now, I think it's been, I'm hearing some positive feedback from everybody, but I would like to get a little more just kind of where's everybody coming from. Um, you know, and kind of the demographic, just basic demographic stuff. So thanks again for taking a little bit of time to do that and uh, look forward to uh, uh, talking to you soon. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 48. And I wanted to read one recent review uh, from Dog Food Money on iTunes all the way down in Australia. He says, uh, or I guess uh, Dog Food Money says, love this. I look forward to the conversations every week. Just great. So much passion. Thanks, Dog Food Money, for the great review. I read every one and appreciate uh, if anyone else wants to leave one out there. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the episode today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to see you on the river or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.